You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast from Hoover, Alabama is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And as I mentioned, in Hoover, Alabama for SEC Media Days 2019, we get to hear from Dan Mullen, Felipe Franks, Michael P. Ryan and Jabari Zuniga, and to help me break you know, SEC Media Days down is Will Salmon from the Athletic. Uh, he'll join he'll join me here on Gators Breakdown. To, we'll get his thoughts on uh, a lot of the the sayings from from Mullen and and the players and what they you know, some of the the topics that uh, were discussed uh, at length. Uh, it, a lot these players get asked the same questions a lot, <laughs> so it, it's kind of funny. You go from one media room to the other and, and hear the same questions uh, asked, and you know if you were in the previous room that these players have already answered it, but they got to answer it for somebody else as well. So you know it, it probably gets a little uh, aggravating that they have to answer the same question over and over again. But you know that's part of what uh, SEC Media Days is, and as I mentioned, Felipe Franks, Michael P. Ryan, Jabari Zuniga. They represented the University of Florida very well, and um, yeah, some really good choices there uh, by Dan Mullen and, and, and the University of Florida in bringing those guys uh, as a, uh, along. As I mentioned, Will, um, Will Salmon from The Athletic would join me here uh, to, to review it all. And I mean, a, a lot of you know Mullen talking about how much he enjoys uh, being the head coach of the University of Florida, how important the bowl win was last year into you know for, for the heightened expectations uh, for for 2019. And I hear a lot of about Felipe Franks from Felipe Franks from Dan Mullen about Franks taking that next step. And uh, some pretty interesting quotes from Felipe Franks in, in regards to what Dan Mullen uh, has done for him. But before we get there, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. A lot more SEC Media Days coverage there uh, as well at news4jacks.com. And you can catch the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, YouTube, Spotify, all those services. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. Will Salmon from The Athletic joining me right here on Gators Breakdown from SEC Media Days. Uh, how many times have you been to Hoover? Uh, well, did we count SEC Baseball? Or okay. just Media Days? Just Media Days. Just there Media we go. Days? Four? Four? Okay. Yeah. All right. did you, were you in Atlanta last year? I was. How does it compare? Atlanta, man, I could do without. Okay, it's it's pretty overwhelming, and for an event like this, I'm like looking to kind of do my thing and not be overwhelmed more than I have to be. So Birmingham Hoover works just fine for me, man. Last year was my first one, and that was in Atlanta. But then, so second one, I, now I finally get to compare because I saw or I heard so many people comparing Alabama and or comparing Birmingham and Atlanta, and I had no comparison, but. I can see where this is a little more quaint. It's not as spread out, and I think people will enjoy that. But Greg Sankey today, back in Atlanta next year. Yeah, I'm not excited <laughs> about it. No, no, I'm not excited about it, but it's fine. I mean, 
after that, I think the year after that, it's Nashville, right? Yeah. So that's yeah. cool. That's, that's the one I, I had heard rumored maybe for next year. So did I. Right. Yeah, so did I. So I was a little bit surprised it would go back to Atlanta. But look, you know, I mean, college football uh, Hall of Fame is pretty cool. That was the better and part of that. Yeah, yeah, so it's like, you got some diff- different things. So I can see him switching up. I don't mind. I don't mind the switch up every, every year. All right, Dan Mullen, uh, Gators on day one. Uh, your initial takeaway from... Piran, Frank, Zuniga, and Mullen as they made their way into uh, into Hoover. Well, I think first the the summer and the attrition that occurred dominated the conversation at first for Dan Mullen especially, and that was to be expected because you did see a, a, a few transfers. You saw the signing class um, see uh, two transfers plus two guys be academically really ineligible to, to to even enroll, and you still have question marks remaining with three other guys. So those had to be addressed first, and it was interesting on a lot of levels because you could assess the signing class that way. You could assess how the team morale is and a lot of things. You go different directions, uh, but not to put too fine a point on it from a team perspective just because it's like, at the end of the day, this is still a pretty good team. And maybe it affects depth. It certainly affects some depth down the road in a couple of years. But for right now, 2019, this is a pretty good football team. And so a lot of the talk went back and forth a little bit with Dan Mullen, whereas, okay, we need to get these questions about attrition and all the, all the craziness that happened in the summer. But, oh, by the way, um, what do you think about Georgia and like yeah. your chances of sort of competing at a high level with them? And so that was a good back and forth that kind of showed you all you need to know about where Florida is at right now. And I thought Felipe Franks really won the day for Florida. I think that he was so much more comfortable with the media than I've ever seen him before. And granted, this is not after a game where they lost Mm. and against a rival where you're like a little bit combative to begin with because you're not in the greatest of moods. I get all that, but at the same time, he looked like he came into this eager to kind of talk and kind of share more about his personality. And I think as media, we're, we're eager to share that for fans who enjoy that. They enjoy knowing who they're rooting for and why. After the searching of the crowd last year, you know, that, that was the big topic for Felipe Franks and then goes on to a tear to end the season. And I do think fans want to see, you know, not the shushing side of Felipe Franks, but the side that we got today. And you think, I, I, I do think it was, I saw you tweet about it. I've thought about it as well. It's been since Jeff Driscoll, since Florida's brought a quarterback to SEC media days. Was there some kind of message or sign sent from Dan Mullen and, and sending Felipe Franks because he didn't really do it a lot at Mississippi State and, and the quarterbacks or maybe even felt like he had to uh, at one point. But it kind of seemed like a, hey, this guy's turned the corner. He's the leader of our team. Let's take him and let him represent the University of Florida. It could be interpreted that way, I think, because if you remind yourself of the history, okay, 2014, he brings Dak Prescott. The guy was a junior, wasn't a senior, so he didn't really, quote, have to bring him, unquote. <laughs> but then 2015 rolls around, and he still didn't want to bring him. He ends up bringing him, but he didn't really want to. The face uh, of, face but of he your said, team. Yeah, yeah. But he said, look, the SEC office called me. They told me, hey, you <laughs> kind of have to bring him because he's probably the best player of all time in Mississippi State history. So, hey, and they're coming bring off that a, guy. They're coming off a great 2014. Seriously, yeah. yeah. I mean, but that just goes, that's just the point of like, he's not somebody who sort of gloats about his QBs all the time. Not his current ones. His past ones, yes, but not the guys yeah. who are currently throwing the ball for him. Um, and then even if you compare it to Nick Fitzgerald, so Nick Fitzgerald was the quarterback in 2016 and had a great year, 
uh, especially in the sort of the shadow of Dak Prescott. 2017 comes around, he's not going to media days. He was the known starter, same situation as Felipe Franks, heading into his second year as a starter, didn't go to media days, they went with three seniors. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to put too fine of a point on it, but there's something to be said that I think Dan Mullen's really proud of what Felipe Franks was able to accomplish. He's really proud of himself for his coaching ability probably too, (laughs) but he also is pretty proud about Felipe Franks and I think you could go in a couple of different ways with how you interpret it, but he feels probably a lot better than he did last year. Let's put it that way, yeah. going into the season, and he's comfortable with what he has and who he has. Before we get into the, the sound bites that we have from from the uh, the players and, and, and Mullen here, you mentioned the attrition and how we tried to bead and, and kind of poke uh, at the at Mullen and, and uh, I was around Frank's when he was asked about it and. He kind of just shoved it off and shrugged it off his shoulder, and you know, and this, and I think he's honest. I really don't think he cares. I think you know, he's he's more worried about the roster that they're going into the season with, and fall camp starting soon. And hey, it's not about the guys who aren't here. It's the guys. It's about the guys who are here. Yeah, and I'm not trying to make it make light of it or anything like that. But we're talking about as far as recently. Okay, Brian Edwards was yep. what your third, fourth string cornerback. And if he's playing, no offense to him, but that's not your first option. And you wanted Kyrie Elam to sort of uh, surpass him on the depth chart anyway. So, I mean, that's the position that he's in. And he was getting surpassed by Chris Thiel as well, for that matter. And you can go down the list. I mean, Johnson, the linebacker, or Jackson, the linebacker as well. Both of those guys were getting buried on the depth chart. Ventrell Miller and James Houston were the main backups, not them two. And you could just go back and forth all the way to... McCoy, the center, he, he was not somebody in the mix for the job. So, like, if I'm Felipe Franks, I kind of have the same thing where it's like, all right, well, it's not as if my two wide receivers have left me or, I mean, uh, you look around, Michael Pirine's still here. I'm, I would be more concerned about what the offensive line has been doing this summer, you know, more than more than Jumping in swimming pools. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Taking backflips over uh, John Hevesy's porch or something. That would raise my eyebrows, and, and, yeah, I would be a lot more concerned about that and how their development is going. But um, like I said before, I mean, like it's one of those things where it's not going to be the difference between Florida getting to nine wins or surpassing it or falling short of it. Their attrition for this year, 2019, would have, will have zero to minimal impact whatsoever on, on their outcome this year. Yeah, and especially for this year, you, of course you're mentioning it, it probably will hurt for 2020 and 2021. Felipe Franks may not even be here. So. Yeah, and you also got time, though. You also yeah. have time to... And different ways to, right. to make it up. Yeah. There we go. All right, so let's get into a little bit of sound bites here. And uh, one from Dan Mullen, uh, talking of, of the way he enjoys uh, being the Florida Gator head coach. I love being being the head coach of the University of Florida, um, the Gator Nation. I mean, the passionate fan base, the excitement, um, you know, that they have. Uh, you know, I love you. You saw at times last year, you know, with the, the, the stadium packing up and the energy and, and creating that unbelievable home field advantage that you have in the swamp. I think those that's that's all so important and so critical. And, um, you know, I, fortunately, I, I understand I've been there before. You know, I, I've I've seen it at, at the highs, you know, and then, you know, we, and, you know, we weren't all highs in my time there before and understanding how to get through it. Um, but I th- it is. I think it's a really exciting time. I, I think our fans are hungry uh, to get back to go compete for championships. And, uh, you know, they're a passionate fan base. They, they love winning. And it's, 
but I am too. I'm very passionate. I love to win. I love, I love to compete. And so um, that's why I love being the head coach of the Gators. Well, so you listen to that, and I think it's pretty clear. We go back to the LSU game last year, and Mullen's jumping around like a crazy man on the sideline and knocking his own headset off and spinning around, trying to get the crowd hyped up. And look, he did it last year at Media Days. He did it this year at Media Days. The custom Jordans that uh, get, get glances and ESPN showing them off. Or we're all taking pictures of them and posting them on social media. The players talked about Mullen's swag and how they were discussing his shoes on the, on the flight uh, from, from Gainesville to Birmingham. You've been around this, you've been around Dan Mullen for years now. Uh, can you tell he really enjoys being the head coach at the University of Florida? Definitely. I think that's probably the, the question I get asked the most is, you know, what's the difference and what's the level of, you know, how much he has changed, what his sort of personality, how much of it has carried over, this or that. And I always go to the fact that he's a lot happier here in Gainesville and being the coach of Florida. And it makes sense. Not to say that he was super unhappy at Mississippi State, but look, this was a guy who was born and raised in the Northeast. I mean, he's a Northeast guy. And speaking from experience here, you watched Florida. Uh, when you're in the Northeast, when you're in New York, New Hampshire, Connecticut, you're watching Florida. That's the team that... Or you're watching Notre Dame. Maybe you're watching a little bit of Ohio State, Michigan, that sort of thing. But Florida is really the main team that you watch because you probably have grandparents who go to Florida and like live there. <laughs> but no, like I mean, that's like one of the teams, especially for a guy like Dan Mullen. So he's an offensive guy, and there's no way he'd not notice what Steve Spurrier was doing in the '90s. Oh, I mean the whole thing. I mean yeah. the visor that he wears. Yeah. The whole thing is sort of like an ode to Spurrier in a lot of ways. So that's interesting. And yeah, I mean like he's just a lot happier. And I think that sometimes. Um, you say to yourself, like, what's he doing wrong or how could it be different or uh, things that he has to learn. I think for the most part he's doing that, and it will be interesting to see, like, how much he pulls away from um, what worked at Mississippi State and learning, okay, maybe this won't necessarily work for Florida, even though it worked for me in the past. That's what I'm most interested in kind of learning about um, as we head into his second season. Yeah, I, mean, I think the first one that goes, the first topic that kind of goes along that line would be recruiting. Hey, right. we, we know how much you can win with three stars and in a littering of four stars and five stars, but with the type of talent we know you can get at Florida, we want to see how you react to getting the five stars and the four stars and going head to head with Saban and, and Kirby. Because I, I think there's no question he's a great coach. You pair that with elite talent, and I think that's, that's why I think fans kind of get frustrated with recruiting because they know if he does get them, it's probably a for sure thing. Right now, it's still all right. Let's develop and let's see where the where the cards fall or how, how they may lay. But we know, and a lot of fans know, if you pair him with elite talent, the results are probably going to be probably be probably be pretty amazing. And you have to remember that development takes time. Yeah. And so if you keep recruiting guys who need to be further developed than, say, other guys, that's going to take time. And so that's why fans, understandably so, get a little bit impatient with it because they don't want to have to wait for their wide receiver to be, you know, three years ready and finally he's able to do something. And it's like, well. How many questions? How many times did we get last year? Where's Jacob Copeland? Uh, Copeland, yeah, man. I mean, and, and like, that's probably a bad example just because no, yeah, of the, right, the yeah. depth yeah, chart of the right. wide receiver. Exactly, yeah. But like, we could even use the offensive line then, though, yeah. as, as, as examples. And I know that offensive line, I've written about it a ton. It's hard to re recruit and evaluate and, and pick those type of guys. And even the five stars take time there. But. That's really the point that 
I'm trying to make is that development takes time and so you when you are already in catch-up mode with trying to get to the measuring stick that unfortunately for Florida is Georgia right now um, not to say that there are shortcuts there really aren't but you really got to start recruiting a, a, that high level of talent that will help close that gap a little bit all right, Mullen went. Uh, he was asked about the bowl win and how important that was, uh, the, the big bowl win, Peach Bowl win versus Michigan last year. And it kind of translated into, of course, uh, the expectations for this year, how they're heightened because hey, look, they were happy with being a top 10 win team, a top 10 team last year in, in the final polls and, and beating Michigan. But there's still so much more. Uh, I think winning the, the, obviously winning the bowl game always helps in the offseason. Uh, I, I think. Uh, it, it leaves a, a bit of uh, excitement, um, leaves a bit of uh, unfinished business of what maybe could have even been better during the course of last season and that you want to build on. Obviously, I've, I've been a part of two national championship teams where it's not really what the, you know, there wasn't much more you could have done. Um, you win that bowl game. I think we finished ranked sixth last year in, in the final coach poll and in uh, so I think the team looks back and says, boy, oof, oof. What if we could have done this a little bit better or this a little bit better? Well, we got to be, you know, I, I think it motivates you, um, that, that motivation and that excitement to get ready to be back out there on the field. So I thought that was, that was huge for us. I don't, I don't know if the score made as much a difference. The score is great. I mean, Michigan's one of the best defenses in, in the country. And for us to come out and play great in, in – Two of the three phases, we had two punts blocked. I don't think we had a great special teams day. We were solid, but not great, you know, in the other phases. Um, but come out offensively and defensively, play at a high level. I think it can lead to a lot of confidence going into the offseason and, and a hunger of, boy, you know, we, we, we maybe didn't play our best. We weren't as good as we could be, and we finished sixth. What if we could be as good as we could be this year? What could happen? And I think that's, that's a great motivating factor. Well, going back to for, for that soundbite there, it's Florida was coming off a four-win season the year before, and he's still preaching to his team, hey, it, this 10-win season, this top 10 finish, still could have been better. You do the little things right here against Georgia. You do the little things right here against Kentucky. You do the little things right here versus Missouri, and hey, it could have been it could have been even more. It, it could have been fighting for a playoff spot, and uh, it, it is – I do find it interesting that, you know, they're not resting on their laurels at all. It was, yeah, you turned it around, but there's still so much more. Yeah, you can't. You really can't. And what jumped out to me in that clip, what I was thinking about was, okay, well, what were their losses again? Uh, Missouri, Georgia, Kentucky, right? He wasn't really talking about, I don't think he was talking about that Missouri game because that was horrible from yeah. the beginning and, and the end, yeah. and it was really yeah. hard to watch. <laughs> and it was ugly. Uh, I don't think he was talking about the Kentucky game just because there was a lot of kinks that they had to work out. Yeah. I, I know that David Reese wasn't there, and then and you could try to... Marco goes you know, down. Yeah, you could try to just um, maybe put too much stock into that, but it's real, and I, I think that it mattered a lot. But I also chalked that up to early, early in the season, yep. and you're just not where you were. What I think that jumps out to me is that Georgia game, and I mentioned that because also 
during Monday, Dan Mullen made it a point to bring up that pass that Felipe Franks mm. threw. Yep. That was an overthrow on Van Jefferson on that. I think was the first play, the off the first yep. offensive play of the yep. game for the Gators. And the flea flicker. Yeah, and, and it's kind of um, reminiscent of the year before when Georgia hit a flea flicker on Mississippi yeah, State. Exactly, <laughs> and and like he brought up that because he was getting questions about Felipe Franks' arm because he's a pitcher now for the Red Sox yeah. apparently. Uh, <laughs> but no, he was in, and that. I thought it was just interesting that he brought up that particular throw because that's what's always in my mind when I think about Felipe Franks. And when I hear that clip just about not resting and wanting to be better, and if you're that much better or you improve upon what you weren't that great at last year, it's like, wow, what could this team accomplish? That's what they want their mindset to be. And I don't mean to pin it all on Felipe Franks by any means, but just as that is an example, that's what comes to mind is like for Felipe Franks, it's like that deep ball accuracy is probably the biggest thing for him right now. Yep. And you could apply that line of thinking to pretty much every everybody on that team. There's always that one thing that, you know, if they were that much better at that, where, where could their ceiling be? You know, maybe aside from Michael Piron, who apparently does everything right these days. <laughs> I think there's everybody, like there's a guy on the team with that has a question mark about a lot of, th about one thing on their skill set that they can improve upon. I think that's probably like one of the larger messages that he's trying to reach. Yeah, so going to that, the, the bowl win, 10 win, uh, some heightened expectations, uh, and Felipe Frank sits on that. Expectations are high, 10 wins is not easy to do, I don't think anywhere, um, but um, it's good when you do it. I mean, we, we, we had a lot of momentum built up from last season. We've worked extremely hard this, this off season, ready for this coming up season. And um, there's a lot of momentum built up, and I think we've all prepared the right way, did everything the right way this summer and, and going into fall camp to prepare us for next season. So I think it's just all preparation-based. I think that our team has did a great job. I think that we have a special team. Last year's team was special as well. Um, each team is special in their own little niche. And, uh, you know, I think that a couple games, even last year, a couple games here and there, I, I don't throw – maybe I don't turn the ball over so much versus Georgia – our season, we could be in the playoffs. You know, you just never know. There's little things like that that you just try to prepare for because you never know when the difference making play is going to happen in a game. Nobody knows what's going to what's going to happen when we play LSU this next year. You know, it's, you never know when that difference different difference making play is going to happen. So uh, you just try to prepare for those those things in the off season um, and and be ready for this upcoming season. So that's what we're doing, and and I think we have a special team as well, just just like last season. We know heightened expectations for sure. Top going to start the season in the top ten, probably pick second behind Georgia uh, when, when the uh, we, we make our picks for um, order of finish for the SEC. Fixing the little things, kind of what Felipe Franks is is going on there. I think they're embracing. I think they're embracing the the, the expectations because I I, I do I, I harp a lot on that bounce back from 2017 to 2018 and watching these kids and the kids have fun for the first time and it seems like forever, and now I, I do think with the heightened expectations there is a lot of embrace to say hey let's bring it on. When I was listening to that clip by Felipe Franks, I thought like okay there's there's something like cliches in there there's a little bit of coach speak but honestly he sounds a lot more like a leader than he ever mm -hmm. did last year too if you go back if you just like replay that real quick you you kind of hear him and you're like okay yeah this guy seems to know what he's talking about here it's pretty um clear it's pretty like lucid like what he's saying it's not 
up for debate. It's not like something that you're scratching your head, like what in the world is he talking about? It, it's it's all right there for you. And I feel like that's part of the, the change that has to occur with this team is that a lot of the time last year, particularly early on, we spoke with Dan Mullen a bunch and uh, I spoke to coaches and players about this as well, just who are your leaders on this team? And I felt like for a lot of the season, maybe they didn't really necessarily have a whole lot of guys who they could really rely on. Um, you had some guys who sort of set examples well, yeah. like a Martez Ivy, that sort yeah. of thing. Tough but Johnson, yeah, yeah, to some level, but like they weren't like complete leaders. Yeah. And I look at a guy like Franks as a guy who has that potential, which was why he was the quarterback in the first place, um, was part of that partially because of that reason, I would imagine. And so again, that's an example of him making some strides because he he is making sense right there, and he's saying a lot of things that need to be said. If you're the QB, particularly taking some blame on yourself and saying you know using yourself as an example, which he does a good job about. So yeah, I mean I'm with you on that. I think that they are getting that sense, and that's a product of some growing leadership. I think. I think there's some realization here too because hey, look, we're going to be a top ten team. The expectations are different, but he mentions, hey, there's going to be a close game against LSU. There's going, to be, there's going to be close games this season. No matter how good you are, unless you're Alabama and you blow everybody else by, blow, blow everybody out by 40 points. I mean, the, for as, as much better as Florida can be this year, there are going to be some close games. It, it, it boils down to that's how competitive the SEC is. So when they travel to Baton Rouge and when they host, the last two times Florida's hosted Tennessee, Florida's been better, but... It's been a game that's gone down to the, you know, to the wire with a hail mary and then a kind of a, a Greer to Callaway uh, touchdown there to, to to put that game away for for the Gators. But I mean, th- there's going to be close games and 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 they they're realizing, hey, we're going to be better, but we still and kind of going back to what Dan Mullen said, they yeah, it was top ten finish, but there's still so much more to do. Yeah, and you and you hear it with the players is that like that's not going to be good enough this year. You know, I mean, like, it, it, in a lot of pockets, I mean, I, I kind of expect them to, to finish with around nine wins, and that, would, yeah. that wouldn't be too much of a, wouldn't be an upgrade at all from last year, <laughs> but um, that's not to say that that would be an unsuccessful season, yeah. though, at the same time. So, you know, you gotta, there's so many factors. I mean, like, there's the, the tough schedule, there's this and there's that, but I think it does start with the people embracing the idea that it wasn't good enough last year if you're serious about being a, one of your you know, top teams in the mix for the college football playoff, not just one of these teams that are in the next tier of the conversation. We're talking about teams that are going to be in the conversation. That's what's going to separate them because right now you mentioned their top 10. Yeah, but the problem with that is that they're probably closer to 10 than they are to five, yep. right? Yep. So they want to get to the top five. And and to do that, you kind of have to have that sort of elite elitist mindset where, yeah, it's not good enough until it's perfected. Well, Will, for, for, for Florida to to get better, to get maybe win the East, get to Atlanta and play uh, whoever, Alabama, Auburn, A&M, or you know, LSU in the SEC championship game, uh, Felipe Francis will have to take the next step and uh, be a more consistent quarterback. Hopefully, you know, I mean, one, uh, he understands his skill set better and how to utilize his skills within the offense, and he understands the offensive system as a whole better to go make plays within that system. And, uh, you know, and to me, in quarterback development is making the less spectacular play. You know, a lot of times spectacular plays happen when guys don't know what they're doing, uh, which is kind of crazy, right? I mean, because they don't really know what they're doing, so they run around and they throw the ball 75 yards in the air and something special happens and everybody thinks that's a great play. Uh, 
I guess it can be good. You know, the play was, might not be designed to do that. The might have played been designed, boy, if you could just hang in there and be smart enough to get to your fifth progression, you check it down, we gain eight yards, that's pretty good. Because with the spectacular, I could also run around, scramble around, and get sacked for a 20-yard loss or throw an interception. And when the good play again would have been to get to your fifth progression in the read, check it down in the back and get eight yards and go play second down and two. Um, I think that aspect of it, that's what you want to see, is him really growing and understanding the game of football and understanding it within what we want him to do within the offense. We talk about consistency and improvement for Felipe Franks. Well, we, well you brought it up. He's definitely got to get better tossing the ball down the field a little bit more with the, with the deep passes and um, overthrew so many wide open guys last year. Um, and we saw it going back to last year. It was when the, it was brought up so much today, and we'll get into it too with you know, the, the, the late season, more game stretch where he, he kind of turned it around. But we that four game stretch was all good, all all well and good. But we know that it, it's that four game stretch, and we're going to have to see that for twelve games coming up this year. Yeah, and it was also like I know Dan Mullen talked about Michigan having a great defense. Mm -hmm. A lot of those guys didn't play, yeah. and you know, and you saw it on the field. Like, those guys were pretty checked out too, mm -hmm. not for nothing. Plus, you also played Florida State, which was the epitome of being checked out last year. So <laughs> there was that. Um, who else was in that mix? South Carolina, South which Carolina. did not have a very good defense yeah. either. And we're missing a ton of players as well. And that so. that fourth game was Idaho, yeah. right? So. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not trying to take a whole lot away from Felipe Franks because it was night and day difference. Yeah. If you watch his his film and you're saying to yourself, "Who is this guy?" I mean, yeah, at least at least there was improvement. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. yeah, you cannot take that away from yeah. me. That's that's undeniable. But I'm just saying, let's not get carried away with. Uh, how good he he's become because he, to me he still he still has to prove it. I mean he still has to prove it against Miami in Week Zero. Um, but to speak to a couple of Dan Mullen's points there in that last clip. You look at Felipe Franks, and he's just so much more comfortable. And I think that's where it starts, where, like you mentioned, David, the idea of maybe Florida fans don't want him to be shushing people and that's this or that. But, hey, if I'm a Florida fan, I'm actually okay with it yeah, just because, uh, hey, give I me am. something. Absolutely. Give me some emotion yep. here. Show me that you care. Show me that you're invested here. And show me that you don't – show me that you care about yourself, but you don't care about what anybody else thinks yeah. anymore because that's what people are tired about. And I, and I like that. And I said it multiple times at Radio Row today is he finally – he took the persona of Dan Mullen and not the persona of Jim McElwain. That's a great it, point, it, yeah. it, it finally took some time. But McElwain had that woe is me attitude, us against the world. And Mullen was like, yeah, I mean, don't listen to what the media says, but hey, embrace, embrace this fan base, uh, get, get, let the crowd get behind you. And the, the, the shushing, yeah, maybe maybe it should have happened. Maybe it should have happened. Uh, but I, I don't think you can argue with the result. No, you can't. You can't, and you can't argue with how different he has looked. Now, I, I'm not talking about statistics or anything like that. I'm just talking about watch the guy play, and he is so sure of himself. And that's something that Dan Mullen was talking about in that last clip of making those type of plays where – you know, you're not really scrambling around trying to make things happen on your own. You know exactly what's possible here. And yeah, maybe you do have to improvise a little bit. You, you watch and you see a lane open up, you take it, whatever. But it starts with being confident and going through those reads first, knowing what you, it's possible to have before you just shut it down and start freelancing, which was a little bit of what he did against Kentucky, if you look back and watch a couple of the, you know, the first plays in that offense. And it just didn't really work because there was really no flow to it. it. It looked as if it was just not something he was comfortable doing quite yet yeah. with making those adjustments and reads you know, prior to the snap and right afterward. All right, and uh, to extend that thought, uh, it was asked of, of Felipe Franks, what does Dan Mullen mean to him? 
I think that I always love, I mean, I love when I get that question. I mean, I love talking about Coach Mullen because he hasn't just helped me, him and Coach Johnson, I mean, they haven't just helped me become a better quarterback in general. I mean, they've helped me do that, but they've helped me more, I mean, become a better man also. Um, and I always love to just like let people know that as well, that he's a great person outside of football as well. He's helped me become a better man and person off the field um, and in the locker room. But at, at quarterback position, I mean, one of the best that I've been around, um, if not the best that I've been around. Coach Miller does a great job of just being hands-on. You know, when we had, he first came in, you know, we had a offense, I mean, that's not easy to learn. It's one of those kind of offenses that it takes two years to really learn it. But, you know, we needed to learn it right away um, within that year. So he's kind of the guy that's always, he's, he's in the meeting rooms with the quarterbacks. You know, you need to do this, you need to do this. Hands-on kind of guy, and I really love that. It's kind of how I learn. And um, he's did a great job with me personally, just helping me grow in that, in that way. I love Felipe Frank's first thought there was to go off the field. It had nothing to do with on the field. It was what Dan Mullen has done to him as Felipe Franks, the, the, the person, the student athlete, more so than the football player. Yeah, that was really interesting, right? I, I didn't quite expect that. But, yeah, it's a great point because a lot of people don't know that, too, that Dan Mullen has such a vested interest in all of his players. But a lot of times it's the quarterback because he expects so much out of that position and he understands that a lot of it extends to off the field. You're the guy that people look to, whether you're a vocal guy or not, you're setting the example. And so you're, you're the guy that everybody looks to. Yeah, mm -hmm. and you have to, and, and Dan Mullen always says, I mean, like, the, you know, there's, there's a reason why people care about the quarterback position at Florida. It's because of the precedent that's been yeah. set and uh, the standards are so high. And so, yeah, you have to sort of construct and, and help develop somebody who's going to come close to reaching those standards, if not, re if not surpass them. And then uh, the, the part that uh, I liked, and I didn't really get a chance to, to ask this today uh, there, but Frank said, you know, an offensive system that's going to take two years or whatever. So I, I do wonder how much of the offense was open to Felipe Franks last year? Did it get to the point in those last four games when he started using his legs that they trusted him to, to more, more design runs? And we know that helps bring linebackers up and make secondary second, second guess with what they're, what, what they're seeing and leaves receivers open. And, uh, but, you know, was that some of the same plays they were running the, earlier in the year and they just finally clicked for Felipe Franks? Or, you know, and the transition from year one to year two, are we, are, are we going to see stuff that we hadn't seen? And, you know, I'll, I'll play a bite from a Michael P. Ryan uh, coming, up, uh, coming up soon, but you had an implementation of a tunnel screen to a Michael P. Ryan where we had, we had no idea that was in the playbook. We had no idea that Michael P. Ryan could catch a pass like that, basically as a wide receiver there. So I, I do wonder now, we talk about taking that next step, is it possibly just because it's year two and Felipe Franks just knows and has the availability of more of the offense? Yeah, definitely. It's like one of those deals where you don't know what you don't know. Like for you and I to be talking about it, we don't know. We don't I mean, know. We, yeah. we don't. Um, but I do know that there were a lot more design runs in the second half of the season, particularly those last four games. And that leads to the idea that there are a lot of things that Felipe Franks is, final, is, is grasping and doing well that Dan Mullen wants to continue to sort of showcase. It's, that's really what the offense is about is it could work for any QB because – the staff is going to allow the quarterback to play to his strengths and sort of minimize those weaknesses. And so for Felipe Franks, it's a lot of it's on the ground right now. A lot of it's in the short passing game. And we don't know, like, 
I mean, yeah, P. Ryan was a big part of that. Who else can be that maybe wasn't or was perhaps underutilized? A guy like Lucas Krul comes to mind. Like, what can you do with him this year? Yeah. Or Kyle Pitts that we didn't really see a whole lot with. We saw some with Lucas Krul, but definitely not on a consistent basis. Yeah. And it was in flashes and just here and there. I want to see what what happens when it's Krul, Pitts, Tony Grimes, Jefferson, and somebody like Hammond on the field all together. Um, you know, that, that's fascinating to see because I think that would speak to the idea of what could happen with this group. Absolutely. And here we go. It's kind of wrapping up here uh, and some more thoughts on that late, uh, that late season stretch. Back to the uh, South Carolina game. Did you ever notice a, a dip in Felipe's confidence level coming off a couple of losses? But, and if so, how was he able to flip that so quickly, lead that comeback, and then basically roll through the rest of the year at a pretty high level? I think one of the ones, you know, with him was learning how to block out all the outside noise and not worried about what's not important. Um, you know, I sound like an, an arrogant or demeaning statement to people, but, you know, if whoever was tweeting at you on Twitter was a more qualified quarterback coach than me or Brian Johnson, they would be our quarterback coach. Uh, so, you know, I don't know why their opinion would even matter. And... Um, so I think once you're able to kind of block out the outside noise and just really start focusing on what's important, look at your skill set, look at what you're able to do, and go do those things at a high level, you're going to be successful. And I think one of the things he was able to do was start to block those things out and realize that we had confidence in him and that he, he's pretty good, you know, he's okay, um, you know, and, and to worry about doing things well. And when he started to do that, he really took off and, and I think finished the season really strong and had a, had a great spring as well. Was there ever a moment last year where you did see a dip in confidence? I'm thinking of the South Carolina game, coming off Georgia and Missouri and being down there, where you ever thought, I'd, I don't know if this is going to quite work out, but then you flipped it quickly, won that game, and obviously rolled through the rest of the year. But was there ever a moment where it started to teeter a little bit with those two losses and then being down in um, South Carolina? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't think about where you, you said, uh, what you say? I don't think this is going to work out. Or no, there's never been that kind of point. Um, I'm the type of person when something doesn't go my way, I've always been taught you keep on working. You know, you don't just give up and turn your back. But um, yeah, no, I've never did that. I've never just been like, this isn't going to work out. I, I work harder and more diligently, uh, not just me, but with my teammates. And that just helps me. And I've, I've been saying it all day, but. Um, you know, I've, I've always been the type of person that works super hard, but been wanting that production to meet my work ethic. And so that's kind of just what I've been waiting on, and that's, that's what happened. So, While the head coach and quarterback are going to get most, if not all, the headlines at SEC Media Days, Florida did also bring running back LaMichael Piran and defensive end Jabari Zuniga. Piran looks to be you know, part of, at, at least you know, behind Franks, the focal point of the offense of him coming back, tested you know, tested NFL uh, waters a little bit, but decided to, to come back for his senior season. Uh, and Jabari Zuniga will be looked at as, the, as probably the main pass rusher with Jacob Polite going. And let's hear from those two guys. Well, Michael, split carries with, with Scarlett a good bit last year. Uh, are you looking forward to be maybe more of the workhorse or still kind of splitting carries along the way? Like whatever my teammates need me to do and whatever my coaches need me to do to win games, I do it. That's how I feel, honestly. Um, I'm not a selfish person. I'm not going to say I'm going to get all the workload because, I mean, it's a lot of other running backs out there who want their opportunities just like I do. So I'm just going to take advantage of every opportunity that I have. 
let's go back to the Peach Bowl tunnel screen. You know, play kind of came along, and was that something that had been kind of saved for that game or worked on in bowl prep? Uh, Coach Muller has a lot of. Um, he got a lot of tricks in the bag, so he throw them out every once in a while, so he can surprise a lot of people every once in a while. Was that something you were comfortable with doing? I mean, you were, you'll be look, you look natural doing it. Was that just? Uh... It's, um, I mean, he just knew, he trusted my ability and my ability to be able to catch the ball, man. And um, I, I thank him on that, and I'm um, just gonna keep trying to keep getting better. Were y'all working on that play like throughout the season, or did it come through bowl prep? It just came through bowl prep, really. Mostly with Jordan Scarlett last year, pretty even stats. Will he be more of a bell cow this year, or do you see the top two backs splitting uh, carries like that? Well, I love I love to be able to rotate guys through because I think for for a couple of reasons. One, you know, health being a huge part of it uh, keeps guys healthy and fresher throughout the course of the season. Uh, continues to allow young guys to grow and develop. Uh, you know, and you know as you're ready. Uh, and it builds builds the team part of it all. You know, you look at last year, you have a, a you had Jordan Scarlett and, and P Ryan and um, you know, after Malik Davis got hurt uh, early in the season, when Damian Pierce came in, and but all those guys, I mean, they, they what they were worried about was how hard they went and how hard they could go on every single play, and they didn't worry about you know, am I getting enough carries, too many carries, any of this? Just when I'm in the game, go work to be my best, and that really shows unselfishness as players. It really shows maturity as players, uh, you know, and understand it. And then I think once they go through it. I think it really gives them an understanding to say, hey, this is beneficial for me to do it this way. So I think that's a help, but uh, you know, we're not going to be afraid to get them get the ball. I know that much. Well, I think uh, I'm going to ask you to do a little bit of forecasting, and, I, and I'll jump in too. I'm actually, I actually think he'll be a bell cow. I, I, I don't see the – I mean, him and, LaMichael, him and Jordan Scarlett almost had exact the same, same stats last year. I don't, I don't think I – and I know Mullen's history shows that he likes to, to – to disperse equally carries here, but I, I think the type of weapon that Michael Pirine is, I'm going to call him a bell cow, and I, and I do think he's probably by far and away gets the most carries of the running back this year. So, like, what percentage would you would you put it off? Uh, if it's not 50-50, what do you say? Like, Pirine I can say percentage him, versus everybody else? Yeah, him probably 60-65, but then Davis and, and, and Pierce actually splitting. Like, those two That's guys. That's what I was going to say, two actually, guys being yeah, kind we're of on the close. same page yeah. then. Uh, yeah. Pirine's going to get the bulk, and then you, you split behind that. So I agree with that. Uh, Next year, you'll get to see more of Davis and, and Pierce, but Michael Pirine, he came back to be, I think, the bell cow and, and kind of enjoy it. And I mean, I'm not saying that's the only reason he came back. Or Mullen promised him, you know, 30, 40 carries a game. Right. But with the what he showed in the Peach Bowl as a receiver and in a long run against Michigan and, and Florida State, I think I think he has the chance to be one of the SEC's better backs and be a bell cow for Florida. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think what you have to, what you, what you kind of have to consider a lot of times is that they went uh, up tempo a lot in mm -hmm. those big time drives, like the one against LSU that I'm thinking of, yeah. the big, the big one against South yeah. Carolina, where a lot of times they were they were swapping them in and out, yeah. and they kept them fresh. So, like, if you're gonna do that, I'm totally down with mm -hmm. that. Um, so it kind of depends on like what you're doing in game, and so like there's maybe a way or a path where. It's maybe a little bit less than we think for P. Ryan, just because there are certain situations like that where yeah. you just want to get him off the field to keep him fresh, for that he could explode for that next run, yeah. and you and you have the quality of depth to do that. But as far as like, yeah, I don't, 
I don't see it just be, and and you know it, it's interesting because I, I asked LaMichael this today I was like man like do, do you think like the coaching staff knew what they had in you like those first <laughs> handful of games you know like because it wasn't until that Vanderbilt game yeah. where like you really broke out yeah. and he wouldn't he's like nah they knew what they had in me. And, I, and I'm like oh yeah I, I kind of guessed that Jordan's you going to say senior, that yeah. Well, you know, yeah but um but it kind of looked that way where it's yeah. like I, I was like man do they really know how capable this guy is because he can do a little bit of everything and do it do it well yeah um so he's gonna be on the field a bunch i think that's probably the easiest way to put it and he's gonna be on the field uh more than any other running back that goes without saying and there's there's no denying it it's just a matter of how much of an improvement he can make in those yards per carry. Yeah. Uh, like, what's he going to be able to give you if, if you do give him those extra carries? Like, what, what does that equate to? Right. How many more yards? And how much more of a factor can he be in the passing game, like you mentioned earlier? I, I think he could be a much bigger factor because he, he has great hands. I, I, I just like him in the passing game. If you remember those, some of those passes to Scarlett, man, he just yeah. went right oh, off man. his body. Yeah. I mean, there was, no, there was no shot at him <laughs> catching some of those, even though it was right to him. Um, and I like Jordan Scarlett, but yeah. man, he couldn't catch sometimes. He, he had trouble with that. And LaMichael is just so much more, you know what you're getting in yeah. that department. Like, you know you could pencil him in for a couple of catches. But I think, I think it should be more than that. I think he can get four or five. Yeah, I pegged him as going into last season one of the, the most underrated players on the roster, and it kind of hit on that. But my knock on him was, where are the big runs? And as the season went on, he gets Florida State, first touchdown in the game, big run. Had another one in Michigan, so we saw it and got teased late last season. Hopefully, it carries on uh, to 2019. Uh, let's hear from uh, Jabari Zuniga uh, before we wrap up this episode. Jabari, Sports Illustrated named you 38th best player in college football. How's that? How's that make you feel, man? Um, I guess it made me feel good. You know, now I just got to go out there and show them, show them why I'm worthy of that. You know, of that spot. Uh, Jacopolite, you know, how was it? You know having a player like him to play with how much did it help you um it was well, first of all you know Jacopolite is, is a very special talent you know and, and just just knowing that I had some somebody uh, next to me of that capability you know it really gave me the confidence to go out and do whatever I can because I knew that if I didn't get them then Jacopo was gonna get them you know so schematically how did that help you though I mean you know you you've got one guy the, the offensive line or quarterbacks keying, keying in on did it, you feel like it helped your production as well? I do, yeah, because a lot of times, you know, Jakai would take up, you know, uh, the running back would chip him or the tight end would chip him. So, you know, that'll, that would leave. It wouldn't only help me out, but it'll help, you know, Schuler out or Kyrie or, or TJ, whoever's in the game. You've seen uh, through through spring practice, Grenard comes in. You kind of see that same capability with him? Yeah, Grenard. John, John is definitely, you know, a great talent. You know, uh, coming in, you know, I was – I wasn't really shocked because, you know, his last year at, at uh, Louisville, he had like like 17 TFLs, so I wasn't shocked. I knew he was a player, but, you know, he he definitely showed me some stuff. You know, that's that's a hell of a player as well. Uh, Coach David Turner coming in and uh, seems to be relatable to, to you guys. What's the biggest biggest change from your know, past staff? I mean, you've had a lot of defensive line coaches <laughs> since you've been in Florida. What's Turner bring to the table that's a little bit different? Um, Coach Turner's an old school, uh, hard nosed coach. You know, he's he's one of those coaches that believes if you know you get what you get in, or you get what you put in. You know what I'm saying? So, so you know, he's one of those guys that he'll work your tail off, and but but at the end of the day, you understand because you know um, you get what you put in, basically. 
Well, I think for for Zuniga, a lot of it came with experience last year, and he was his third year. In his, the third third year, uh, you you expect progression uh, for, from from a certain player, and, and especially like him. But uh, I asked him, you know, of course about Jakopolite, and that was a, a little bit of a surprise what he was able to bring to the table last year. And I think you know there were opposing offenses that really had to to, to game plan for somebody like Jakopolite, and I, I think it was a player like Jabari Zuniga who was able to take advantage. Yeah, you know the thing is. I, you're right with that. I just want to say quickly with Jabari Zuniga, he's a guy who's like so like understated a little bit, right? Yeah. Like he he's like really um, he's good to talk to. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that, but he's a little bit understated and a little bit reserved. Yeah. And I just wish he played with a little bit more of a mean streak because, right. like you mentioned at the beginning of that chat with him, he was on our freaks list. The guy has the body for it. He has the skill level. Now he could clean some things up and he yeah. could have finished with some more sacks, but. If he played with just like a little bit more of like a mean streak of like an Adam Schuler, yeah. how crazy <laughs> would a season with Jabari Zuniga have? Yeah. Like if he played like that style where it was like that relentless give that Jakai Polite showed on certain plays. I mean, and, and I know Florida lost, but the goal line stand versus Georgia, he was almost Zuniga was almost in every play. Yeah, uh, on that. Yeah, yeah you're right. I just so if see he brings it, like, that, consistently yeah. though, like I want to see that consistent mean streak in him because if he does that, then. He's going to get those sacks because Todd Grantham told me months ago, like, the, the guy could have had 10 sacks easy. He missed them. You watch the games. You mm. go back and watch it. I did. Yeah, he was missing guys. He was one centimeter away, one inch away. Just missed him. Missed him with his arm, whatever the case happened. Um, so he's going to get those sacks anyway. He's going to be in better position, to Todd Grantham is going to make that a priority this year because of how talented the guy is. But, um, yeah, man, I, I just think that he has so much upside that when I hear him speak, I'm kind of like thinking to myself, just play a little bit meaner, like play a little bit meaner and, and just give, it's just, that's coming from me who's like very analytically based, you know, <laughs> to kind of say that. And it's hard for me to kind of accept that, that came out of my mouth. But I, I truly believe that there's something to that though, that, you know, maybe it's just in his personality that he has to sort of get, get over or just kind of get to that, to get to that next level. But I'm eager to see it because he has the experience, he has the body, he has the talent. He just has to put it together for a bigger season. All right, that'll do it for our SEC Media Day coverage here from Hoover, Alabama. Well, man, I can't thank you enough. Uh, nice, to, nice to get to hang out with you for, for a couple of days and, and talk some Gators football. Uh, with you guys, I'm sure plenty of uh, SEC Media Day coverage coming up on The Athletic. Yeah, definitely, man. It was great, great chatting with you. Uh, you know, this week kind of did a, doing a cool story on Felipe Franks. He mentioned just the idea of wanting to be more of like the face of Florida or just mm. kind of accepting what those what that impact is. And he talked about this kid that he met at Walmart. Turns out that the kid biggest wish was to meet Felipe Franks. Mm. Kid had three open heart surgeries. And by happenstance they actually met at Walmart. It's a pretty remarkable story. So I would appreciate if people check that out in addition to the story about attrition and like, you know, <laughs> the scholarship numbers and all that type of stuff. But yeah, that's a cool story on Felipe Franks because it just shows you a different sort of side to him that I think um, a lot of people don't know about. All right, Will Salmon from The Athletic. Go check it out there. Download the app. Uh, go to, the, go to uh, theathletic.com as well. So there we go. Uh, and go check out Will's good work. And the last little bit we'll hear uh, from, from the players are Michael P. Ryan and Felipe Franks. And uh, kind of speaking on how Kadarius Tony uh, earned that number one jersey uh, from Dan Mullen. Of course, the number one jersey, popular with the players, and Tony gets it. You know, what did you see from him? Was it uh, is he becoming more of a complete receiver, or kind of just pure playmaker? Is that, and then Mullen said you got to be a baller. Is that pretty much what it is for Tony? I feel like he's a baller, honestly, man. Uh, 
you know, I'm going to support him all the time because you know where he's from. He's from the same hometown I'm from, Mobile, Alabama. So I feel like he's one of the best athletes that we that probably came through Florida in the last 10 years, honestly. Uh, he can do anything you want, cut back, elusive, return. He can do whatever you want, man. That's just what he is. And I feel like to win number one, you got to be a special player. And both him and C.J. Henderson are both special. Did, uh, was that something you ever thought about maybe trying to get get in for the number one or keep keep it, keep it keep your jersey? Uh, I feel like it comes with some big shoes to fill. So, I mean, it's not the fact that I feel like I don't I can't feel those shoes. It's just I'm good. I'd rather not. i just rather be number two. Uh, the number one jersey, of course, is coveted at Florida. Kadarius Tony just got a guy you'll be throwing the ball to a lot. Uh, what did you see from Tony so he could earn that number one? Yeah, Tony's, uh, I mean, you guys see it every Saturday. He's just uh, one of those kind of – Different breeds. I mean, he's a, a awesome football player. The guys can just always make something happen with the ball. Um, be on one side of the field, make something happen on the other side of the field, and then the next thing I know, I end up blocking. I mean, you know, so it's it's one of those guys that you know you just love to like out throw him the ball and just sit back and just watch him go. Um, but really good player. He's earned everything that he's gotten. Um, humble guy. Uh, walks around the locker room, you know, confident but humble all the time. Great guy to be around. Um, you know, somebody that's some, that people love to be around. So he's just an awesome guy, but a really good football player as well. So. All right, before we go, a little bit of recruiting news, uh, some breaking news while we're out here at Hoover, and the Gators get their latest commitment in cornerback, Jahiri Rogers. Uh, you know, with the losses uh, of Chris Steele and Edwards recently, you know, he really needed to hit uh, with a big-time uh, cornerback, and the Gators did here with, uh, with Rodgers being a four-star, 93.7 rating on 24-7 sports composite. He's 154th ranked player in the country, 10th ranked quarterback in the country. Uh, the six-foot, 170-pound cornerback from Arlington, Texas, joins fellow Texan four-star Avery Helm and three-star from Lakeland, Finley Graham, as the cornerbacks uh, for this 2020 class that the Gators uh, are working on uh, right now. now. You don't have a lot of cornerback film uh, on Rodgers. He's a run-heavy quarterback in high school. A great athlete, 24-7 um, sports, you know, says uh, enough height and an adequate frame that likely plays cornerback, but has some safety projectability as well. Shows above average speed in the combine settings and good change of direction uh, as well when one of the nation's better shuttle, short shuttle times um, in man coverage, he has uh, reactive quickness and athleticism to be really good. Predictability can get lost in, in zone coverage and camp, set, camp settings due to limited experience on defense. And he is—he's going to be a project. And not a lot of experience uh, playing cornerback. So kind of surprising that you see he, he, him being a four-star and, and the 154th ranked player in the country without the experience of playing cornerback. A lot of this is going on camp settings and, and, and whatnot. So, you know, we'll see. He is going to be a project. He'll have to come in here and, and develop. And part of the reason he chose Florida, he's going to get developed by the best. Uh, Torian Gray was a big big factor here in, in bringing in uh, Rodgers and you pair him with Avery Helm. You know, it's kind of weird Florida has to, Florida's going out to Texas uh, to, to get two cornerbacks here when, you know, the state of Florida is kind of known for that uh, that, that, that position, especially for, for University of Florida guys. Uh, there, but you know, you you go get them where you can, and, and Florida picks up uh, one good one here. As I mentioned, a four-star, 154th ranked player in the country, and the tenth tenth ranked cornerback in the country is Jahiri Rogers. So that'll do it for this episode. Well, never mind. Hold on. Um,
with uh, Rogers' commitment. The Gators now rank eighth in the 24-7 sports composite ranking and the fourth-ranked team uh, in the SEC theirs with an average class rating of 89.9 there, so almost a 90 rating for the 2020 class right now on the 24-7 sports composite. And that'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown from Hoover, Alabama at SEC Media Days 2019. Uh, fun time, uh, tired time, uh, a lot of work here, uh, but it, it wouldn't have it any other way. A lot of fun. Glad we could uh, bring and, and talk, uh, bring, bring on uh, Will Salmon to talk with him and, and get thoughts from Dan Mullen and, and the players here. Uh, it was a r- fun day uh, had by all, and I, I think uh, you could tell the players were having a little bit of fun with it uh, as well. So, uh, you know, stay tuned. Uh, we'll uh, keep talking Gators. Uh, this week and all the other SEC schools uh, there at SEC Media Days. I'm sure, you know, check us out on, on Twitter uh, at Gators Breakdown. Check me out on Twitter at Gator Dave underscore SEC. I'm sure be, uh, I'll release uh, sometime this week uh, the way I'll vote uh, for the um, predicted order of finish uh, for the SEC and uh, and the like. That's always a fun time. And you'll probably see it Alabama in the West and, and Georgia in the East. Uh, there, but we, you know, we'll see how it all shakes out, and uh, we'll kind of discuss that on next week's episode of Gators Breakdown. Where Florida's pegged uh, in, in the SEC here, and uh, you know what players uh, are put on the uh, they all SEC list. So that'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. I'm David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.